Welcome to episode 95 of the Gump Runners podcast. Chase Thornton, Jeremy Law, Lester Mitchell here with you tonight following Alabama's 34-20 to victory over the Tennessee Volunteers, hopefully starting a, a new streak. Um, Alabama's won now 16 out of the last 17 versus the Volunteers, and uh, man, that one felt good Saturday afternoon. Another game where it's a tale of two halves. I mean, Alabama continues to do the same old thing where they just cannot seem to put together a uh, a full all a full game offensive performance because man guys if they do if Alabama can put together two offensive halves can they be beat by anybody in the country with the way this defense is playing I think it's safe to say this is a national championship caliber defense and it's just Alabama just you get one half where they're going to sputter then the next half they're going to come out and they're going to be firing on all cylinders. Tommy Reese is going to be looking great. Milro will be looking great. And then, you know, like I said, there's other times where they look like they've they've never even seen the football. You know, Arkansas, it was the first half. They were up 24 to 6, and they just packed it in. This game, you know, first half can't get anything going. Um, then all of a sudden, bam, second half, two plays, touchdown coming out of half. Um, Lester, tell me what you saw from the third Saturday in October offensively from the tide. Um, I saw a couple positive things. Uh a couple of wrinkles here and there, um, a little added flair, a little something different, a little you know, show the defense something different. Coming from Tommy Reese, which I was a little impressed about that. Um, I think it was still a couple games too late to be previewing that stuff because it's not that complicated. But uh, nevertheless, they did it. Um, so I'm, I'm for the most part satisfied with the play calling. I believe the execution could be a little bit better. Um, running the ball is still just iffy. I believe the um, insertion of Jaden Roberts into the lineup is helping a little bit, but the offensive line that hasn't progressed the way I thought it would be. I, th- I still think that the offense could do a lot of things better. But when it comes down to it, you know, I think you texted the group about Jalen Miro. He has about seven or eight good plays a game, and those plays are, you know, work well in Alabama's favor, whether it be a long touchdown pass, uh, a proof for a run or things like that. But uh, I think the offense is just is, is still Jekyll and Hyde to me. I, I don't like it. I don't think it's good for long-term success. But they are showing a little bit of improvement. Jalen, I'm not sure if you got to, to listen last week, but we talked about Tommy Reese and his script. You know, you come out and you want to do, do as much as you can to put your offense um, in the best chance to go up, you know, 7 nothing, 10 nothing, whatever it is. On your first two drives, usually you have about anywhere from eight to 12 scripted plays throughout the week that you're like, okay, this is how we can attack them. We can have success early, get out maybe, uh, you know, if you're on the road, quiet the crowd, or if you're at home, get the crowd fired up and into it. And one thing that I pointed out, Tommy Reese has been very bad on his scripts, and Saturday was no different. While I will, and and I'll break this down later, I think Tommy Reese probably had his best game so far. Um play calling wise outside of the script. Um and, and in an example you saw, you know, Tennessee gets the ball first. Hypel script got Chris Braswell, an outside linebacker, man to man with Squirrel White, Tennessee's best receiver. That's what a good script does. It, it may seem like, you know, I'm harping on this, but I promise you, you know, hundred percent, I, I think this could easily bite Alabama sooner rather than later. Because you're not going to go down 20 to 7 versus LSU and win that game even though you're at home. You cannot go down 14 to nothing at Auburn and expect to come back and win that game easily. Um 
it seems like Alabama's is the definition right now of playing with fire. You know, Tommy Reese comes out. He's got all week to work on this script. We have a busted play. The running back goes the wrong way or Milrow goes the wrong way. I don't know. But it's a rollout to the right. Milrow throws it for six yards. And then we have a quarterback run, which was a good play call. Uh, Milrow got tripped up. Like you say, J-Law, he can, you know, he gets tackled by his shoestrings way too much. And, um, and then you run a dive play for no yards on third and three. And that dive play is still bothering me a little bit. The first three running back runs were dives. Everywhere you look this week on social media, you saw where the Tennessee defense's highest success rate versus the run was on the interior versus the versus the dive play and you know over the guards. And you know, Reese tried to use a lot of motions for eye candy, but still continued to hand the ball straight up the middle, which I can't really figure out whenever you're going against the teeth of the defense like that. Jalen, talk about early Tommy, early early in game Tommy Reese, and how and maybe a reason why he's been ineffective on the first couple of drives of every game, and and something that he can do to change that. I honestly, I honestly don't know why our our first two possessions of every game since we played Middle Tennessee is just, ugh. I mean, I, it it make it makes it unfun to watch the first 15 minutes of a football game knowing that either a there's going to be some miscommunication b a penalty or c we're just going to run the most vanilla stuff that the defense is just sitting there and waiting on and listen tommy reese is still a young offensive coordinator lester's right we shouldn't have to grow with a guy we are alabama we should be pretty good at it so I really don't know what's causing i mean you got all week sometimes all your your staffers that aren't really doing a lot of in-game game planning and have already been kind of breaking down some things that might work against the defense early in a game. This is how they line up. This is how we think we can take advantage of it until they make those adjustments. Um, So we like, I, I mean, I don't really know what's causing it, but it's really hard to watch. And it, it's just really frustrating when you have that plus a quarterback who, when it's there, will still refuse just to use what he's really good at. So I mean, we were. I was watching the game. The uh, I didn't go to the game. I was texting y'all. I'm like, dude, Jalen Milrow's got in the first quarter three or four opportunities to spring a run, 15, 20 yards, pick up a first down, check it down to the running back. I think a little bit of that is execution. I think Jalen Milrow takes a while to settle down in a in a lot of these games. Listen, that's still a big game. That's Tennessee. They beat us last year. The crowd's rocking. I think that we came out. I hate to say it with the anxiety in that game, and we had to go in at halftime and make the adjustments and play well. But when you go back and look at second half, Tommy Reese, second half, Kevin Steele, I mean, dude, that was elite football. You're, you're talking about you outscored Tennessee 27 to nothing in the second half, offense firing on all cylinders, defense just completely lights out in that ball game. But I don't know why they're starting out the way they, they are, but I do agree with you. If Alabama plays three quarters – not just not maybe not four. Like you're gonna have a, a right. lull in a game. Yeah, I'll take if three. Alabama, <laughs> yeah, if Alabama puts together three quarters, they're winning a lot of games, 37 to 17, 37, 20, maybe even more. But still another game for Alabama where you give the other team points. Still another game for Alabama where your offense doesn't get you more than 30. Um, we still want to see Alabama's offense take that next step, but it's a big win against a big opponent. More importantly, Alabama gets a ranked win under its belt. And, um, you know, they got another chance. It's, it's win out for Bama, and you're probably in the playoff, although I do think Lester 
is a little more right than I thought he was two weeks ago looking at these scenarios. But right now you're Bama. You just got to take every win like you get it. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get to talk about that next week because I believe next Tuesday is when the first playoff rankings come out. And you'll get a kind of a feel of how the committee views Alabama. If they view them as a team that, you know, like I said earlier, is, is playing with fire week in and week out. You've had four um, halftime deficits already this year, um, which is the most in the regular season under Nick Saban. And uh, you, I'm sure you've won three of those. But, you know, four out of eight games you've been trailing at halftime. That's definitely got to change. And, you know, hey, uh, you know, I started the podcast kind of harping on Tommy Reese a little bit in his scripts. But like I said, that was it. You know, he he uh, he went on to call one of his best games of the year. And the most creative offenses in college football and really the NFL, if you think about it, you think about what the Dolphins do, what the Niners do, um, these high-powered offenses, even in the NFL, they're – they're ones that get the defense running side to side mixed with power. I think Alabama has a good power run game, but they don't help themselves out with it. I think in this game, Reese did a better job mixing in quarterback runs and quick plays side to side in order to stretch the field. Now there's still plenty of room for more um, because there is success to the outside in this Alabama offense. I, uh, I don't think up to this point Reese has done a great job of utilizing the speed that Alabama has. And it's not the fastest team Alabama's ever had, but, you know, Bond can move. I think Kendrick Law can be explosive on the outside. Um, And against Tennessee, he did do some, but I need to see more of this moving forward before I get excited about it Um, on a consistent basis. I went back and watched the game and saw – and just kind of wrote down some numbers. They did run the little pop pass that Lane Kiffin loved that we all love as fans. Um, those passes got 37 yards total. You had two little option pitches for 11 yards. Three read option keeps for 17 yards. And, of course, one of them was negative seven where Milrow made the wrong read. Um, two shotgun tosses, you know, the little pitch out of the shotgun. The, those got nine yards, a little slider flip to, to Isaiah Bond. I think it was in the first quarter, definitely the first half. That one got 10 yards on a first down. So I charted 10 plays, you know, that could be runs or pass. I included the pot passes and the little flip to bun. 10 plays that kind of went side to side rather than north to north and south. Um, 84 yards on those 10 plays. So you're talking about 8.4 yards per play. There's tons of success to the outside. I think Reese needs to exploit it more. Um, Lester, after the busted script, so to speak, Tell me what you thought about Tommy Reese in this game in more detail. I feel like he had to adjust himself. Clearly, Tommy, whatever you were doing the first quarter, the first couple of plays of the game wasn't working. I think that he's finally realizing that he has to go into his bag, however small it may be, just a little bit. Look, guys, the offense isn't hard. Like you said, get the guys going side to side, wear them out. That's how you beat teams that you have more depth in because you just have skill player after skill player after skill player after skill player with fresh legs coming in and gassing those guys out. How do you get a strong defensive line weakened? You tire them out. You go side to side. You do not let those guys continue to rush up and down the field and basically choke Milrow out. He has to begin to do these things earlier in the game. Starting out how Alabama has, it's, 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 it's unacceptable. There's no way 
that at the end of the first quarter, end of the first half, there's always a deficit. Always. Now, granted, our defense is the best defense in the nation, but it shouldn't be this hard to get up on a team. Clearly, Alabama is the better team, but due to poor, well, we can't say poor coaching at this point, but due to poor trip, poor play calling, Alabama's constantly behind the eight ball. And that's not condu- conducive to a good team. They are playing with fire. And uh, whether that chicken comes home to roost, we'll find out once they play a team with a really great offense. Yeah, we'll find that out next week. Of course, you know we're not going to cover the LSU game tonight since we do have the bye week. Um, we'll cover – we'll break down the LSU game uh, <clears throat> next week. So this is just a strictly strictly a Tennessee breakdown podcast. But, J-Law, I think Reese was better on first down this week. Uh, I'm not – like I said, I'm not sure if you got to listen last week. But 20 out of 27 – first down plays against Arkansas were runs this week. It was down to 17 and there was more success with it. Um, but you know, Nick Saban always talks about getting four yards on first down. You get into second and six, second and five. If I was to tell you that Alabama ran 17 run plays on first down, how many realistically would you expect or how much, how much do you think Alabama should be getting? Hang on. Let me, let me rephrase this out of 17 runs. How many times should Alabama get at least four yards on first down? Give me a number out of 17. How many times out of 17 should Alabama be getting four or more yards on first down runs? Yeah, well, Saban says if you don't get four yards, it's a it's a it's a wasted play, essentially. It's a bad play in college football if you don't get four yards. I think right. we would all agree on that. Uh, I mean, you, you're Alabama first down, run the ball. You have everything in your pocket. You got teams off guards, easy play to throw on to. I mean, I would at least want 13 of those to get four four yards. I mean, yeah. it shouldn't be that difficult. We were trying to spread them out, too, with lightning, with kind of getting the box a little lighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, with all the motions that he did. Um, I was thinking maybe around 10 would be a solid number, um, and, and that's actually what it was. So seven out of 17 went less than four yards, which is more success than last week. Still, obviously, probably not where they need to be. Um of course, you know, of course you want 17 out of 17. But another thing is Jalen Milrow, I was watching this game. He is it seems like he's so much more comfortable on throwing the ball on first and 10. Uh last week he was four out of seven on first down passes. This week he was eight out of nine for 123 yards and a touchdown on first down throws. So I'm thinking this play calling on first down needs to be more 50-50 run pass rather you know we've been such a heavy run team on first down um and you know we had a 59 percent success rate according to nick saban his four yard theory so not bad um and like i said reese did he did mix in the you know different kind of runs on first down pitches and read options on first down to help with that to help out with that stat but um Milro throwing the ball on, on first down has been really good this season. J-Law, tell me what you saw from him in this game. Yeah, I thought it was a – not. A, I won't say it's – it wasn't a classic Jalen Milro game because the second half was more than exceptional for Jalen Milro. But the first half was a classic Jalen Milro lull of the game – not playing well, stays in the pocket way too long. What I thought, you know, we keep bashing the offensive line. Listen, dude, they are not – listen, they're not going to win the 
the best offensive line or we're not going to win the outland or whatever it is or whatever the remi whatever it is whatever the name of the award is but they're not going to win that but man according to what pro football focus they're giving Jalen Milrow has more time to throw than any other quarterback in the SEC so we're not getting the ball out quick enough he takes the strip sack where he should have stepped up in the pocket but because if you listen to this podcast Chase tells you the offensive line the goal is to not give up pressure up the middle. So if Caden Proctor works his guy around the backside of Milrow, he should not get hit, especially when your guards and your and your center do their job and keep the pocket clean in the middle. Well, I mean, after I had no faith that we were coming back in this game because of how poorly Milrow played in the first half of this ball game. I mean, yeah, we marched the ball down the field a couple times, scored a touchdown, should have had another one and an unfortunate play, but just the way he was playing, his feel of the game wasn't there, but then he turns it around. Love what Tommy Reese did. We got all the blocks we needed on the first down run to start the second half. You get a first and 10 around the 45-yard line, dude, we are taking a shot. Teams better back up because we find Isaiah Bond wide open for a tutty, put the DB on skates. Defense gets a quick stop. And when, I feel like Jalen Milrow, he's always one throw away from his mindset and the ball game changing. If he could get that one deep ball up in the air his confidence goes through the roof he starts playing a lot better and heck one of the things i thought that happened in this game because i know at least at home i don't know if y'all could see it at the stadium but dude there was just so many plays where if he just takes off and runs it's seven eight yards 15 yards four yards instead of just holding it and holding it and making a bad throw there was a couple times in the second quarter where he Missed a guy. He missed Burton twice by like six yards. Threw it out of bounds. There was two really bad throws. But in the second half, it's almost like they told Milrow, hey, we're calling some designed runs for you in this quarter. We've got to lighten the box. So people got to respect your legs to give us a chance to run the football, which is going to give us a much better chance to pass the football. Man, it all worked out. So what Jalen Milrow did in the second half of that ball game, man, dude, he looked like I mean, he it was really hard to tell if it, if it wasn't Bryce Young, Mac Jones, or somebody back there. Just the way the offense was operating overall. Clearly, I mean, he's not that good, but the way that the offense was moving and the the efficiency they had made just made you be like, man, dude, if we could do this for a whole game, we might be unbeatable. So I tip my hat to Milrow, tip my hat to Reese. The offensive line played the best game they've probably played all year, especially in the second half. Um, man, it was just a lights out performance on both sides of the ball in the second half, and I couldn't I couldn't have been more excited leaving that ball game. Yeah, by far the by far the best game for the offensive line. I thought Latham did a tremendous job of handling James Pierce. Uh, Jaden Robertson, pass pro, was a lot better than I thought he'd be. He's known for being a mauler, you know, a really good run blocker. Blocker. Uh, you watch him on film; he really gets his back flat whenever he fires off the ball. And uh, but he his feet look really good in, in pass protection. I'm really proud of the way he played and thought it was a good job by um by Reese to also having the game plan to let 45, 81, and 84 help Proctor over there on that left side. You know, you're not alone here. We're going to chip almost every single pass play. You saw a guy motion over there and just give a little shoulder to that defensive end. And, look, you can say what you want. Even if you know it's coming, you have to be aware of that. And you it really limits what you can do because you're not – 
you're not off your track once that happens. You see in the NFL a ton, these tight ends will kind of chip and then go out for a route or whatever. So I thought that was a really good game plan. Look for that to continue to be in the game plan um, throughout the rest of the year to help Proctor out as much as you can. But, yeah, you know, Milrow, he's not going to surprise you anymore. That guy can drop back and rip a 60-yard bomb, you know, on a dot, and you'll be like, oh, well, that's Milrow. Then he can sit there and hold the ball for seven seconds and get strip sat and be like, well, that's Milrow, and almost everything in between. And uh, and so, you know, he is what he is by now. He has a, another two turnovers in this game. I think, you know, now he's he's had uh, six power five starts this year, and he's got six turnovers in those games. So he's going to – he's due for a turnover just about every game. He's, he's real deep ball heavy. Uh, I think he holds the ball because he's waiting for the deep ball, and he's looking way downfield. You know, Landon's brought this up. J-Law's brought this up. Um, it's easy to see. He won't check it down in the running back. Hopefully that needs to be coached into him over the over the bye week. And, um, you know, second drive on third and five, it was a mesh route called. And, you know, you have bo- basically both crossers are open at the first down marker, and he throws it deep to Burton, throws it 10 yards out of bounds. J-Law mentioned that play. There's a third and three or something like that later on in the game, and Dupree, instead of hitting a wide-open Dupree at the first down line, um, he throws a tough ball to Burton about 15 yards downfield who has to make a catch while getting his legs grabbed midair. You know, just unnecessary. Uh, holding the ball led to the fumble in the first quarter. Everybody saw that, and it'll lead to more if he's not coached out of that during the bye week. Um, but, yeah, pass pro is superior in this game. And, you know, Tennessee didn't bring a ton of pressure. So he kind of got away with holding the ball a lot. There was also some throws where he held it, held it, held it. Then he came back to his left, and boom, he threw a strike to to whoever across the middle of the field. There were two or three of those plays where he held it for four or five seconds because he had great protection because Tennessee only rushed four, and he was able to make some big-time completions out of it. But, you know, you, you can't count on that all the time. Reese has to coach him. You know, you drop back, sit, 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 three seconds max, and then make a decision. Either turn it loose or run. And much like you can't count on the receivers, we talked about this before, much like you can't count on the receivers to make circus catches every single game, which they went back to, by the way. Burton made multiple circus catches. Um, But you can't count on that every game. You also can't count on the offensive line to give you four to six seconds of protection every single time you drop back. And I think Milrose relying on that too much and getting too comfortable back there. But uh, Lester, analyze Milrose play in this game and kind of what you saw from him and kind of add on to what me and J-Lo were saying. Yeah, he's doing things where, once again, Jekyll and Hyde, the great is great and the bad is bad. Um, there's not been one game where Milrose has started where you're just not either scratch your head and have your head in your palms or your hands or – just simply one like, dude, what are you doing? And then, you know, once again, he's amazing. Um, it's it's kind of worrying that you're not seeing a little bit of consistency from him at this point. Because you got to realize, guys, since Tommy Reese has been hired, it's been, I mean, I don't know when he was hired, but, you know, you've had all of spring, you've had all of summer, you've had all of fall camp, and now you're two months into the season, and there's still seemingly no – continuity there's no there's no settling into a groove i talked about that last like you saw joe milton last week he settled into a groove and there's just no fluidity there's no consistency there's no no sense of lester 
do you think the reason the for that? Do you think the Who? reason for that is because like we've talked about, he's just not a natural quarterback. I mean, because even Joe Milton, look, I think Joe Milton's pissed. I told y'all that last week. I thought that's why Alabama would cover the game because Joe Milton wasn't gonna wasn't gonna come in here and complete every deep ball that he looked at, like Hendon Hooker did last year. And uh, of course, he completed the first one, but he didn't have a, a ton of success throwing downfield after that. And uh, and so even I don't think Milton's a good quarterback, but he still looks like a quarterback. When he goes back to throw the ball, his throwing motion looks like a natural throwing motion that's for it that that's for a quarterback. And Milrow, he's back there. He's got his index finger covering the point of the ball. I showed y'all the way he drops back. Like it's just it's not natural. He's not a natural at the position. So do you think maybe that's why he just can't really find any consistency? Because it's just I mean, it's not I'm not saying it's foreign to him, but it's just kind of how he is, right? Um at, at this point, that can no longer be an excuse. Sure. He's been in Alabama for how long now? I mean, yeah, but I'm just here. saying, like his everything he does, like the little the pitch to bond. Like it looks so awkward when like there was one time he was scrambling like second and three and he just shoveled the ball away. I'm like, dude, like it's okay. You can just kind of flick it over there. It's like almost like panic mode. Like the, the option pitch to Roy Dell where he almost fumbled it. He kind of pitched it over his head. It's like he panics a little bit and then it's, it's yeah, he, not he a natural position to him. It still looks at even though he's what 20 years old, 21 years old, it still looks yeah, like he's just he, not he comfortable in the position. He doesn't look 100% comfortable within the offense by any means. That, that, that's, that's evident. I don't know if it – do you think it's this – because he didn't – he looked the same way last year against Texas A&M when he started. I mean, I just think that's just how he is. And I think by now, you know, you're just going to have to take what you get and just, you know, maybe send up a couple more prayers to your football yeah, I mean, gods. It is, I mean, it is what it is, but I think, like you said, the stats where um, – you know, I think I still think Reese can do things better to help him. Clearly, that first down stat is really, really important. Yes. You know why? Because on first down, what are they expecting Alabama to do? Run the ball. So they're stacking the ball. They're bringing guys up. And when they do pass the ball, the wide receivers are in an advantageous position to get open and make a play. You know, so I think, you know, three guys who aren't paid millions of dollars can see that. You clearly think Reese could start leaning his tendencies more towards that way. And Jay, Jay Law, do you have the numbers in front of you by chance? I got them right here. Hang on, pulling them up. So Milrose, fourteen out of twenty-one. So he 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 incompleted seven passes. Um, but like I said, he was eight and nine on first down. And so if he's more comfortable, that's just a really good point. If he's more comfortable on first down, why not call more first down passes? That way, you're not forcing him to have to. To, to, you're not putting so much pressure on him to make a play when it's third and six, third and seven, third and eight, which Alabama's had a ton of more than anybody else in the SEC this year. Um, so yeah, it's a good point, mate. You know, allow him to throw on first down. That way, he can make a mistake. If he has to throw the ball away, he can. If he if he does hold it too long and takes the sack, it's okay. Of course, it's second and eighteen, but it's not the end of the drive. And uh, so yeah, definitely need to see more balance, run pass on the. Uh, on first down, but moving over to the defensive side of the ball, J-Law, you know, we've talked about this being a national championship caliber defense. I think it's safe to say that they are elite. Um, gave up 20 points to Tennessee. Um, of course, three of those are on a short field um, off of the Milrow fumble. 
and um, scored. You know, they scored a touchdown themselves. Jihai uh, Campbell on the scoop and score there with the you know late in the fourth quarter. Dude, I mean, Jayla, I'll start with the front seven because I want to cover all three levels of this defense. Start with the front seven. The defensive line continues to be a problem for opponents. You got all kind of guys making plays. Um, the the consistency that they've had really since the Texas game. Talk about what a job they've done and what a job Freddie Roach has done. Perhaps maybe the best coach on this defensive staff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Listen, not oh, without- oh, oh. hey, he's got three stars up here. Like Tim Keenan, three star busted up knee, so basically a two star. And he's gonna make him an all SEC player. Yeah, listen, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I, you know, Freddie Roach gets a tough reputation. Um, some people are saying it's just because of Golding's defense. How often they had, you know, just two defensive linemen on the field with Pete Golding, and now you're pretty much guaranteed to have three, like you would have back in the day with with Kirby running the defense and Jeremy Pruitt running the defense. So, I mean, you're really your defensive coordinator runs us in our system with the leeway that Saban gives him to run, I guess, kind of tailor it to him, run something very similar to what Jeremy Pruitt and Kirby Smart would, would be running when they were at Alabama. So it's not as surprised to me that our defensive line is playing so well. But I think one thing that's helping our defensive line is just, man, quality linebacker play because it's easy to be pissed at the defensive line when you're giving it running yards. But that's not really Alabama's scheme, isn't for your defensive lineman to go rack up nine or ten tackles a night. You're relying on your middle linebackers. And for the last three years until this year with Pete Golding, our middle linebackers are, you know, Chris Harris, Henry Tolotoo, Jalen Moody, um, a couple other guys. Just, I mean, Dylan Moses. I mean, they all underperformed. I mean, they were the – they were that was the worst – those were some of the worst, I guess, productivity years for linebackers for Alabama since they even got there. And what Robert Bela is doing. Did we just found a guy off the street? How bad was Pete Golden? Because we just called a guy that nobody else wanted. Hugh Freeze didn't even pull him over from Liberty. We just pulled him off the street from Liberty, saved him from, uh, gave him a massive pay raise. And the linebackers are playing absolutely lights out. People were pissed off at Coleman Hutzler. Uh, you know, even though he had Will Anderson and and the guy you know, Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell, there were some times last year where you thought that outside of Will Anderson, Dallas Turner wasn't being very productive. We didn't have, we didn't really use Chris Braswell a lot. So our front seven coaches, I think, are they look much improved. But man, our front seven players, I mean, feels like they're in the right place, right time. Don't miss a lot of tackles when they do. There's somebody else there to clean it up. And for our defensive line to not have any five stars that consistently play at this point, they have Tim Keenan, they got a fifth-year guy, Justin Aboyby, which I think uh, is is really big for us. Tim Smith playing better than he's been playing. That's a guy that we said, hey, before the year, either Tim Smith or Damon Payne's got to step up. Well, Tim Smith's playing lights out, Latham. I mean, so hats off to Freddie Roach. Listen, I was tough on him. He's not the best recruiter. Um He's the only guy to continually lose guys in state to other schools. But um, if he keeps these guys going the way that they're going right now, I, I, I trust the development because we got Hunter Osborne, James Smith, a lot of younger guys that we brought in on the last class. And if he can turn, 
you know, a hundred the the seventh and eighth best defensive lineman in recruiting class into all SEC players, and we'll take it all day. I think definitely you have to look at this as, as being a, a system issue with, with Pete Golding and what he was trying to do um, because of all the stuff that you mentioned. I mean, yeah, um, grabbing the the Liberty linebacker coach. and You sound like Stephen M. Smith a little bit there, J-Law, giving the linebackers coach praise. Um you know, that just that knowledgeable guy from Tuscaloosa, Lester's Lester's dad, Stephen M. Smith, just dropping knowledge. <laughs> That's all he does, just drop knowledge, man. Uh <laughs> Lester, add a little bit to what J Law was saying about the linebackers. Then I'm gonna go back to J Law for the secondary because like I said, I want to cover three levels. But man, this linebacker group, it's I'm not I'm not scared to say it's the best in the country as far as depth goes, because you got Deontay Lawson, you got Trez Marshall, Jihad Campbell, and Kendra Blackshire. Um, you know, you've had Lawson miss time, you've had Marshall miss time, and Jihad and Blackshire, whenever they whenever they've been called upon, they've all done tremendous jobs. I mean, Trez Marshall can't go versus Tennessee. So what does Jihad Campbell do? He just steps up and becomes the SEC co-defensive player of the week. I mean, no big deal. I mean, this guy's you know, the tremendous linebacker group here, inside linebacker group, I should say, you know, along with Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell, Quandarius Robinson. I mean, I, I think it's by far the best linebacker group in the country. Let's talk about what they did Saturday at Tennessee and how they dominated the game and really have dominated the season so far for Alabama for the most part. Look, I don't know how many guys you just rattled off there, but it was a lot. And the fact that you rattled off all those guys means that they are playing, they are making plays, and they are contributing. I mean, clearly, if a guy goes out, there is minimum drop-off at the linebacker position. And do you know why that's important? Depth and development. Development. How many times over the podcast over the past couple of years have we talked about development? And it may not have been development. It may have been that dumbass defensive coordinator we had the past half decade. It seems so, like it seems like all roads kind of wind back to Pete Golding. Have you noticed that? You can kind of make an argument for every single thing, and I know that he's easy to be the scapegoat. But man, this real. is a consistent problem for four years. And, and it's amazing, Saban let it go on for so long. He gave Pete all the the leisure and, and all the you know leeway that he wanted. But man, that guy was a problem. He's like the Brian Hartston of defensive coordinators, basically. Um, but, yeah, for, for all of those guys to rotate in, contribute, and have that dominating mindset that it's always the next guy up, that's, 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 the, that's the markers of a great defense. And you're seeing that every week, week in, week out. If somebody is out, somebody's injured, if somebody needs a breather, there's no drop-off. And I think that's the way, you know, across the entire defense. Because I know in, pre in previous years, We've complained about that. Where's the depth? Where's the dog mentality? Where's the next man up mentality? And it wasn't there, but it's here now, and it's, it's clearly evident, and it's showing. Thanks to uh, Kevin Steele and his coaching, his ways of doing things has infiltrated everyone on that defense. Yeah, depth is depth wins championships. I mean, you know, you're, it's football. You're going to have injuries, and um, – and, you know, you, you've seen, like I said, Lawson's gone down, Marshall's gone down, uh, Malachi Moore, J-Law moving to the secondary. He's missed a game um, and some change. And so out, Nick Saban goes in the portal in the offseason. He gets 
Jalen Key, Trey Amos, two guys from group of five schools, and a lot of people kind of question it. And uh, they've done nothing but be borderline spectacular. I mean, Jalen Key is a tremendous, tremendous safety. He's been a huge help for Alabama. He goes to Georgia and says, I'm not leaving without Caleb Downs. Caleb Downs commits and is a day one starter. He's actually leading the SEC in tackles, which is insane. And um, the way he, he's played and the way and the way he's called on to the game is extraordinary. Um but, yeah, like I said, Arnold goes out against Tennessee for a little bit. Amos comes in. You don't see a ton of drop-off. And Arnold's an all-SEC corner. Kool-Aid's an all-SEC corner. Talk about the secondary and the depth that they have and how scary they are for opposing offenses. Yeah, you know, paired with a, a pair of outside linebackers that are two of the top ten pass rushers in America, if not two of the top five, you got to so not only do you have to get the ball out quick, you got to throw it in a tight window to get it around these guys. I mean, dude, they're good. I mean, they're really good. Terry on Arnold is, I mean, you know, him and Kool Aid in the first half both gave up a couple, a couple big catches. But even Saban said after the game, you know, in the first half, their defensive plan wasn't working. So they changed it up and they put their guys in a better situation and, and look what happened. And I also thought the feel was that Joe Milton is he's just so inconsistent, dude. He's not gonna be able to do this for four quarters. Turned out, you know, that was right. But man, Malachi Moore just being back made things so much better for this defense. I thought Trey Amos came in and and just had a spectacular second half the way that he played. Not even sure they completed a ball on him in the second half. Kool-Aid's Kool-Aid, but man, like what Caleb Downs is doing right now, man, like he even had a chance to get a couple more TFLs in this game and whiffed um, in, in the backfield. Just the, the his versatility, him coming down in the box, I mean, they feel comfortable moving him around, which just tells you about his football IQ because most of the time a true freshman, you're like, hey, this is where you're playing. Don't leave the spot. You're an athlete. Just try to make a play on the ball. Well, I mean, he he's doing so much. So, I mean, I think that moving – T-Rob to just the overall secondaries coach, and obviously Saban's got his hand in that too. It's kind of helped this defense as well. It's kind of just kind of made everybody feel comfortable in what they're doing. They're all getting coached by the same guy. Everybody's on the same page. I'm just, I'm just really impressed because I just did not – when we hired Kevin Steele, we knew that it was usually feast or famine. Like, dude, he's going to get – he's going to give up seven or he's going to give up 37. I mean, that's just how it felt when we hired Kevin. So we got to realize Alabama – when Kevin Steele was their defensive coordinator, I think like three years in a row put up like 40 or more on Kevin Steele. So except maybe in 20s, whatever the Jalen, when Jalen Hurts just couldn't throw. But, I mean, like Alabama put a lot of points up on Kevin Steele. So what he's doing now with the elite talent, dude, is, is crazy. And it just goes to show you that this defense didn't – it didn't need a lot – it just needed somebody who could take the job serious, put the time in, put the work in. I don't think the players respected the former defensive coordinator. I just thought that they were kind of buddy buddy with him. And Kevin Steele's a guy that's got a pedigree in this game. So it just it just it just excites me to know there's a guy back there, just a veteran guy who can call the plays and the players will execute it because they're so well coached. And, and I think would, it, well, you would, know, would you respect your DC if you saw him in the Taco Bell drive through at three o'clock in the morning too? After you just left your hell. <laughs> Gronk. No, nah, that's what I'm saying. Like Kevin Steele's a guy that's coming here taking the job seriously as he should because of his respect for Nick Saban. And I it, I mean he's got the team, dude. All these players, man. Like I don't remember like 
Will Anderson being like, yeah, Coach Golding's really the best in the world. But these dudes, dude, they're, they're, they ask him about Kevin Steele. They're like, yeah, Coach Steele, that guy's a dog, man. Dude, we got, he's a dog. Man. He's, he's like, he's not Kirby. I know he's not JP, but his defense kind of looks like it. It sure does. They respect him. Yeah, and, I, I, you know, one of the reasons we thought that about Steele, the feast or famine thing that you were talking about is – I didn't think we expected to be this good on the back end. I, you know, Arnold was one of my breakout players this year because I thought he would improve. Did I expect him to be a top 10 corner in the country? No, I'm not sure a lot of people did. Uh, Trey Amos, like I said, a group of five guy like Louisiana Lafayette really played in the SEC West. Eh. Jalen Key might start at safety. Him and Devonta Smith are kind of battling. Devonta Smith is a three-star. Jalen Key is a UAB transfer. Like, come on, dude. Like, we didn't really know. Caleb Downs, you really don't know. He might start as a freshman. But, you know, freshmen get toasted back there. It's going to happen. And we really didn't know. Where's Malachi going to play? That was another question. The only lockdown we had preseason was Kool-Aid. We, and then everybody else, everybody else is a question mark. You know, that we didn't know how they were going to use Malachi. We didn't know how they were going to use Downs. We didn't know um, if Arnold was going to take that next step. We didn't know what Key and Amos had in store for us. And, uh, and so I think that's been a, a huge surprise is seeing how locked down the back end is because as a defensive coordinator, when you have faith in those five in the secondary – you're more you're willing to go get the quarterback, and I understand that Alabama has the dudes to get there with four, and they do a lot of the time. But man, if you want to bring five or six, you don't hesitate at all because you're like, you know what, I can run man across the board, and they're going to get a pass breakup or they're going to get a coverage sack, one or the other. And uh, and so I think that's one thing that's helped still out a lot as far as him being aggressive after the Texas game. I think that it took it took the Texas game for him to realize that. Um, you know, to to ha- I had to trust my guys back there, and uh, but but since then I think he's done a really good job. Guys, here's a little nugget, and we're gonna get off or get over into uh some some bye week conversation here. Just something that I heard on another podcast, and then I started doing some math myself. Heupel's been at Tennessee for three years, and those three games, Heupel scored forty eight points on Bama in the first quarter. That's sixteen points in the first quarter per game. In the second half of those three games, he's only scored 34. And, of course, you know, 18 of them came in the fourth quarter, that debacle in Knoxville last year. Um, But, you know, he scored zero in this game. So, Heupel, just kind of going back to that script thing that we opened the show with, Heupel has done a really good job of scripting for Alabama um, but hadn't really been able to sustain it a ton in in the second half. Uh, He's only scoring about 11 – just over 11 points per half in the second half of his three games against Alabama. So, that's something that next year you really have to prepare for anything in the first in the first quarter, first half, going up there back to Knoxville. But of course, that's something we'll cover in about 360 days or so. Um, bye week for Alabama, LSU on a bye week as well. Um, next week that game will determine the SEC West because, uh, yeah, well, at least for Alabama it will. You know, you win, you clinch the West because um, LSU will have two West losses and. Alabama will have the head-to-head over LSU, but heading into this bye week, Lester, one offensive and one defensive thing that you want to see worked on in the bye week. It can be any position, any person, it doesn't matter. It can be a coordinator thing, whatever you want to choose. Give me one offensive thing that needs to be fixed over the bye week and give me one defensive thing that needs to be fixed over the bye week. Offensively, for Jalen Milrow, 
decisiveness. And by that, I mean, at practice, three seconds on the stopwatch. At three seconds, blow the play dead. Make a damn decision. Either way, it, hey, throw it out of bounds. It doesn't matter. But you have they have to do something to make him lean into his athleticism. If it's not there, boom, take off and run, throw it out of bounds, make a, make a decision and let those natural athletic instincts take over. Him standing in the pocket, that that that's that's poor coaching in my opinion. Um sure when he when the game is on, you know, Nick from the sideline, Reese is up in the box, they're not behind them, coaching them, talking to him or whatever. But they have to do something to make him make a decision quickly. And as far as defense goes, man, I'd like to see adjustments made before halftime. Let's not get to ha- – no, I understand the halftime. You got your whiteboard. Um, y'all there, collective, together. There's not chaos going on. Milrose probably not about to throw another pick. You don't have to worry about that. But adjustments before the half. Let's not let a game get out of hand, especially coming up with the offense like LSU. Let's not let them – because they can get up on you 21-0 quickly. They can get up 24-0 on you quickly. Let's not – do things to have to wait till halftime to make those adjustments. So those those be my two things. And that's what those are spot on, dude. Um, defensively, it, it's hard to find one because they've been so solid against the run. They've been solid against the pass. They they've gotten pressure on the quarterback, and uh, and they finished games. So defensively, I don't I, and. I don't know. I mean, dude, Lester, really – and yours on the offensive side, I love even more. The three and a half seconds, I didn't even think about that. Put a whistle on him, three and a half seconds, boop, you're, you failed. You know, that's a failed play. Um, and at least, you know, start getting that that clock in your head. Just start, you know, ticking it for him, basically. If he's not going to have one, because once again, all quarterbacks are supposed to have that clock in your head that, hey, it's yep. time to go, it's time to get out yep. of here, it's time to get rid of this. Um, if he's not going to have that naturally – literally put one on him uh, and, and do it for him and force him to have it. And uh, so I love that. Um, mine would be offensively, I'm, I'm going to start there. I'm going to go Reese. Just stay more creative, especially on first down. Uh, I, I think he was better. Like I said, he was better against Tennessee. Move the defense side to side because all that's going to do is that dive play that he loves to run. It's just going to help. It's going to help with that. You know, instead of, facing a six, seven-man box, you might end up with a five or six-man box. And all of a sudden, you know, you're matching that five-on-five. Five, and then if you read a guy, then you're you're five-on-four on now or you're six-on-five in the box. And so that's going to do nothing but help out the interior run game. So I think that uh, that he really needs to, to continue to get creative um, in the run game and pass game on early downs and um, put your offense in, in better situations on second and third down and get some – get more third and shorts, more third and twos, third and threes, rather than your third and sixes, third and sevens. Um, Defensively, get healthy. You know, get Malachi right, get Terrion right, um, Trez Marshall, anybody else that's banged up. Get everybody ready to go for this back half stretch because, look, it's not easy. You've got LSU who's going to be a top 15 team. 
they're coming into your house, and then you got to go to Kentucky, which will not be a cakewalk, especially after that LSU game. And then you got a week off against Chattanooga. Then you got to go to Auburn. So you play four games left. Two of them are on the road and and pretty hot, pretty tough places to play. And uh, not saying I think Alabama is better than all the teams remaining on their regular season schedule, but this is something that you really need to be as healthy as possible for heading in. And uh, and yeah, like Lester said, try not to try to get out in front of LSU. You know, instead of waiting till halftime. You know, in between drives, make in-game adjustments instead of you know halftime adjustments. So, yeah, Lester, I love those. Jayla, what do you have for for bye week expectations? What would you do if you're Nick Saban? You say I need to fix one offensive thing and one defensive thing. What are you choosing? Yeah, just look at what changed the second half. I mean, it took two carries for Jalen Milrow to completely just get that Tennessee defense off guard. Man, they. Because if you have to respect Milrose's legs, I mean, he he's obviously either a little banged up or just, I mean, he's just not seeing the field well when he's running it. Who knows? But what Jace and Jam and everybody else that got a carry did after Jalen Milrow had two successful runs, I mean, the game was pretty much over. The offensive line was able to block better. The, the, defense, the, the defense just has to account for Milrow. So I, was, I would say, yeah, like stay creative, but – Man, like let's let's work on the zone read. Like let's let's try to see if we can get better with that. We heard Cole Kublik say it. Like why we don't run it? Well, I texted y'all during the game. I was like, that's why we don't run it because Milrow didn't keep it when he needed to keep it. Lost seven yards a couple times. He handed it off when he should have kept it. So let's work on that and let's just tell Milrow, which I think happened at halftime last week. Like, dude, you're gonna have to run the ball. Like if it's there, go. That's what you do. There's not just don't be ashamed about what you do. You got Gary on the broadcast saying Milrow told us that he's not a running quarterback. Just because you run and you're a quarterback doesn't make you a running quarterback. It makes you a smart quarterback if you're good at it. So go do it. And defensively, man, like it's hard to say anything about this defense, but because I mean, like Rotating linebackers, Alabama's been good. Jahad Campbell played like an all-SEC, first or second team All-American in this game. I mean, dude, he was everywhere. I'll say defensively, man, just just get your guys healthy. It looked like Terion got healthy. I think it was a concussion. But, man, for, for the defense, uh, you know, I would – I don't really know, man. Like, just – What about quarterback better? Ryan? Quarterback run is something yeah, I mean, that like, protect the draw. I guess if you don't talk about yeah. the players, you just talk about Kevin Steele, like just play calling. How about we spy a little bit, dude? If they have a mobile quarterback, it's on tape now. We don't cover it. Jackson Dart did it to us. Um, heck, Max Johnson did it to us. Joe Milton uh, in the fourth quarter, shoestring. Uh, I think it was Lawson with a big tackle, just diving at the shoestrings to stop a touchdown. So, I mean, just like let's just focus on that. If a team's got a mobile quarterback like this one that we're about to play in, in the next game, like you're gonna have to account for him. Especially, I mean, LSU's offense is the best in the conference, obviously. So, just be able to shore up those things, stop the quarterback run the best you can. Yeah, no doubt. You got you got dual threat guys, and then you got Jane Daniels, who's one of the best passers in the conference and the best running quarterback in the conference uh, statistically. So, yeah, definitely. Um, going to be very challenging for Alabama. We'll get into that LSU game next week, break it down. Um, but until then, we appreciate y'all stopping in, listening to us. Um, hope everybody enjoyed that cigar. Got that, got that cigar taste out of your mouth by now. I know it took me to like Monday to finally get that out, but hey, I enjoy it. Uh, but uh, and I hope I get to do it next year. But until next week, this is episode ninety-five of Gunburners Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law. We're out.